this diagram is one of the slides. I uh, put together a, a CD that you can just download onto your computer uh, called The Gospel in Context. It's 350 slides. About 200 of them are all the verses that go with the points of the gospel, every point of the gospel, who God is, man, sin, Christ, the death, resurrection of Christ, and to believe in what's the future. Uh, I did that primarily to go over it again in detail with my own children because they'd heard it all their life. And uh, my daughter at age 15 said, Dad, I'm, I'm not a Christian. And she was um, trying to live two different lives. And everyone at the school thought she was the most outstanding Christian girl. And a few months after that award she got, she said, Dad, I am not a Christian. And I said, well, I didn't think so, because I live with her at home. And she said, I just really want to be genuine, and I, I'm all for that. I mean, but then I'm going, but you need to repent and believe. <laughs> and so I said, I'm going to go back over the gospel with her, but maybe use some visuals, but still the word of God. So I wanted all the slides all, that I could go to, all of the verses, and go back over it with her and she said sure and uh, after she heard it again probably for the hundredth time um, she still didn't believe and that went on year and another year and another year and just kept going and then uh, three months after she was married uh, God graciously saved her and uh, now she's walking with the Lord and but that's I wanted something to use, uh, obviously the word of God, the power of God unto salvation, but use some visuals that may help, not only with children, but even with adults. I'll bring some of those in if you're interested in that at all. I'll bring them in during uh, maybe the lunch break and just put them on a table out there. And if you're interested and you want to you know, purchase one of those, they're like $10 each. But that's fine. If not... And you said, well, I'd like to have one, but I can't afford it. Just take one. Okay, just do it that way. I'd, more, I'd rather you get it and use it in your own life and ministry. Than, um, all right, so we'll do that at lunch. Now, we're moving to the next topic of Bible study and prayer, decision-making, And when it comes to the Word of God, a few things that um, God's people often do with the Word of God, and this is just in, in between before I get to the principles there, several things that God's people do with, concerning the Word of God, a lot of them doubt the Word. They just have questions. And, and a doubt it's all right to have questions, but when you begin to doubt God, that's not good. Uh, that was how Satan came in to Eve with a temptation. Has God said? 
causing doubt, we ought to read and study carefully and say, I I believe. Even if I don't understand certain things, I still believe the Lord. I believe his truth. It's my problem. It's not God's. But people doubt the word. People deny the word. Some people distort the word. They make it mean something different than what the Holy Spirit intended it to mean. They dilute it. And some people have divided allegiance. Oh, I love the, the Bible. And then maybe even on TV, some people, you know, the Bible, this, and then they, as one just told me, you know, then they, they set it aside and they start talking about things that aren't even out of the Scripture. So they've divided allegiance, even in ministry. But we want to use the, the Word of God. Uh, again, it's the power of God unto salvation. The Gospel is. That's revealed in Scripture. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And then sanctification, growing in the Christian life. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth in John 17, 17. So we want to be careful what we do with the word. And this diagram may be helpful. You don't have this in your notes. So you have another page there that has additional notes that if you wanted to draw a diagram, that's fine. But you'd want to start with the scriptures whenever you are forming your beliefs. Uh, That is the revealed will of God. Out of that, you want to study it carefully. It's a word called exegesis. It's just bringing out of the scripture what it says there. What does it say and mean? And that's just careful Bible study using what some uh, is often called hermeneutics or Bible study skills. Then what does the Bible teach about different topics in its own location? So if I'm reading the Gospel of John and I come across the Holy Spirit, what does the Bible teach about the Holy Spirit right there in the Gospel of John, often called biblical theology? So you're studying the topics right in their location. Then you move up one more step. Now what does all of the Bible teach, let's say, about the topic of the Holy Spirit? The other 65 books of the Bible, what do do they teach about the Holy Spirit? So you're not just learning about one truth in one location You're learning about the truth in that location, and then what does all of Scripture teach about that truth? Called systematic or correlational theology. And as you know, some people are only in certain passages of the Bible, and it's worn out in one book and maybe in a few chapters in another place, and the rest of the Bible looks brand new. That's not good. All of our Bible needs to look worn because, well, this is a new Bible, but uh, my other one fell apart. (laughs) Then practical theology. This is once you learn what the Scripture says about one topic and, let's say, all of Scripture, then so what? So what? How does that work on my life on how to change and grow? 
How does that affect my life here and now, today? That's called practical or applied theology. And that's what God has given us his word for, and that is to know him and his will and go all the way up and change our life. So you don't want to read and study God's will uh, that he's given us just to know something, just to know more truth, but it's to know Christ and to become more like him in our walk that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So that may be helpful, just as we study Scripture. Now here are the principles that you have, and this has the storyline running all the way through Scripture of redemption, of God creating man, and then the fall, and then you have the Redeemer, or salvation, and then you have a new heaven, new earth, you have heaven and hell, but there's a storyline running all the way through the scripture of the coming Messiah, uh, a redeemer, a substitute for our sin, a lamb of God, and then that's Christ. So let's just cover these principles uh, sort of quickly here. When you're studying scripture to do it carefully, 2 Timothy 2.15, when you study the scripture, it says, study it carefully. Divide it correctly, that you may be in a, a workman, approved workman, rightly dividing the word of truth. So carefully study his word. The literal principle is God didn't give us his word to totally confound us as his children. I mean, we don't communicate that way. I don't. I don't give hidden messages in everything to my children or my wife and when I'm sitting talking with her and she says, how'd your day go? And I say things, but I don't really mean that at all. Actually, I mean something very differently. We try to communicate literally. And when I say, you know, it was a good day, it kind of means good. It doesn't mean bad. And we're not, we're, the words we use, we're really trying to communicate well. God has communicated to us Try to take it always literally wherever you can take it literally. Sometimes, though, you're in certain portions of Scripture that uses uh, certain genres of speech that if you just take it literally, you're going to have trouble. It, it's, whether it's uh, pro- sometimes prophetic, uh, some of the literature there, if you just take it literally, what's that? type of literature how do you interpret that literature uh, song of solomon i mean you, a husband and his wife if you take some of that language literally you'll be out gardening somewhere i mean you'll it's 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 picturesque language and it's illustrative of a beautiful relationship with your wife and so but for the most part god's trying to just communicate to us take the literal principle and take it literally, wherever you can. Secondly, is what, as best as we know, we read the scriptures and we read historical accounts of what was going on at the time. What did the scriptures mean to the original human authors when God gave it to them? It's called a historical principle. Back then, when God spoke to them, 
What did it mean to them? And that means I need to study their culture, what was going on at that time. When uh, the Lord says in Jeremiah 29 to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare, not for calamity. What did that mean to Jeremiah? It meant that they're going to go into captivity. All of Israel is going to go into 70 years of captivity. And the rest of Jeremiah talks about how bad that's going to be. But the future plan for Israel was he's going to bring them back. Just 70 years and he's going to bring them back to Jerusalem. That's the plan he has for them. What did it mean to them at that time? So it's called the historical principle, being really careful to, to study Bible backgrounds and what's happening in the nation of Israel. And it says, they went up to Jerusalem. Well, up, I mean, how, how did they get up? Because they were up at, in Galilee. You, you go down to Jerusalem. No, there's a, it's on a mountain. They went up. And just all kinds of things begin to develop when you understand the historical principle. The Good Samaritan, when the man was lying in the, the ditch or beaten up by robbers, and it says that the, uh, the priests, as they were coming down from Jerusalem, they passed by this man. Remember that, the Good Samaritan? They, they came down, which means a couple of things, historically. The feasts were all done. They were done all their service in Jerusalem. They were going back to their homes. That means all the ceremonial laws of don't touch anyone who's dead or all of that, they no longer applied right now. They just went through all of the ceremonies. They were coming down from Jerusalem and they still had no time for someone who was beat up and hurt. It's really interesting. I mean, just the historical aspect of scripture. Thirdly, the grammatical principle. Now we're using what's the subject, what's the verb, some of those things that growing up you say, oh boy, literature and English, grammar. But it's important, who's the subject? Who's being talked about here? And what's the verb? And is it a one-time action or is it ongoing? Just like what we looked this morning, those are all ongoing. You're growing in the service of good deeds, you're growing in the knowledge of God. You're, you're standing more firm in tough times and with difficult people, without, with joy. You're increasing in thankfulness, and those are all ongoing. So it's important, the subject, the verb, the object, and the context, even in grammar, um, just to get those right, that we're not missing uh, studying Scripture carefully. Then fourth is, what is all of the context of Scripture teaching as I'm looking at a verse? What's the book about? What's that chapter about? The Holy Spirit isn't just all over the place. He's communicating perfectly. And there's a theme, themes running through the Scriptures. And what's the overall theme of re redemption and God's glory? But the synthesis, pulling it all together, seeing it in light of everything. And then fifth is the practical principle. This is, now I need to do something with the truth I just learned. 
Being a hearer without a doer, you will only be spiritually proud and deceived. James chapter 1. If I just hear the word and I don't do it, I just become proud and, and spiritually deceived. So we need to do what God tells us to do. Even today, you know, as you learn some things about the will of God and being obedient to that, Lord, help me now to implement that. Even if you say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read more of the scripture. I'm going to think more about what God's word says and think about how it applies to my life. That's good. That is exactly what should be happening. The practical principle. Now, some key definitions. When we talk about God's will, there's really only one will of God. One will. But two different aspects of that one will. And when you're reading the scriptures, it will usually tell you which aspect of that will, of God's will, that he's talking about. So one will, but two aspects of it. The first aspect is called God's decretive sovereign will. This is where he declares the end from the beginning in Isaiah 46. He is God. He declares the end from the beginning, and which means everything in between as well. This is a will that he, it's called his ordained, his, his sovereign decreed will, his decreed of will. This isn't open for voting on our part. He doesn't change this. He's already decreed, and things are moving exactly according to his plan and purpose. This is the will talked about in Ephesians 1.11, that God works everything according to his plan and purpose. Everything. Nothing is by mistake. Nothing is just a, a happen chance. There's no luck. Not in God's universe. He is the sovereign God. Now you do not know God's decreed will ahead of time. You, you don't, I, I don't know what his decreed will is, what he's planned for the rest of this day. Do you? So no, I just know I, my plans, what I'm thinking I'm going to do, but oh, God will redirect things at times. So you don't know his decreed will ahead of time. How you know his decreed of will is by looking backward. All history has been his decreed will. I know it's God's decreed will that you're here. Because you're here. That's right. <laughs> I'm looking present and backward. God will take care of his decreed will. He's working everything according to his plan and counsel. He may seem slow. He's never late. And he, he can orchestrate all kinds of things. He can orchestrate, he'll, he'll even use evil, Satan, to accomplish his good and holy purposes. He did that with Job. That's our Romans 8.28. God works all things for our good. It's Joseph in Genesis 50:20 when he said to his brothers, "You meant this for evil, 
But God in his sovereignty meant this for good. This is how we trust God. And it, it makes it easy to trust him. And I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's, it's not hard at times. But when we get a, our minds in Scripture and we go, God, you are over all. You, there's nothing. We can come right to you. you. You are over everything that's happening. That's our trust and our faith builds. And that's Job when he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He, he is the sovereign God. And he didn't know what the future had, but he said, but though he slay me, I'll trust him. Now, how God orchestrates and carries out what he has ordained is called providence. I think I have that here. Now, it's called God's providence. God, God sovereignly orchestrates people and circumstances to carry out what he's decreed. I'm going to try to illustrate this in a minute, so you're going, boy, it's still kind of fuzzy. God orchestrates circumstances and people to carry out exactly what he has ordained. When you think about what was happening in the Gospels with the religious leaders and Christ at the right time, God sent his son, and then they hated him, and they crucified him. And in Acts chapter 2, it says it was the sovereign plan of God to bring Christ, that he would be crucified, and actually you would murder him. It was God's sovereign plan that all this was going to happen to provide redemption for his people. Oh, boy, that's, this knowledge humbles us, doesn't it? This is the knowledge where the Apostle Paul, when he looks at all what God has done and is doing and will do, he says, oh, the depth both of the, the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. I mean, who's known the mind of the Lord? Who became his counselor? Who's first given to him that he should be repaid? For, for from him and through him and to him belong all things. Right? To him be the glory forever and ever. It, it, it just humbles us. God's responsible for his decreed will. He's ordained all things. He is carrying it out. And we trust him. That's the first aspect. The second one is God's preceptive will or revealed will or scripture. This is the will that the Holy Spirit has given us, the aspect of his will, for us to know God, to interpret his creation to know how to live how to be right with God what the future has as far as heaven and hell this is the will God has given us and he wants us to know this and to live according to it he'll take care of his aspect his decreed will and in using providence and you can't read providence either you don't know how he's actually working everything. You think you know, and then we're wrong. And you know providence by looking backward. Look how he did everything. That is just amazing. 
But this will has been revealed to us. Deuteronomy 29, 29. There are secret things that belong to the Lord. There are revealed things that belong to us that we would know it and keep it. The two aspects of God's will, the revealed and his decreed will, his sovereign decreed will. Now here is an an attempt to illustrate this. Now you have another piece of paper there. I think it has additional notes. If you want to try to copy this down well you don't have to write it all down I mean if you uh, you just kind of get the big picture here if this illustrated God's decreed will sort of an aerial view right looking let's say we're looking down from beginning to end all events past present and future are all in the blue He's decreed he, from beginning to end. And Isaiah, well, let's, let's turn there just so you see this passage. Uh, Isaiah chapter 46. I mentioned Ephesians 1.11 as well, but Isaiah 46. Verse 8. Isaiah 46 verse 8. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. His plan of purpose, his decreed will, everything that has happened is and will happen. So if we're looking at an aerial view at God's decreed will, nothing happens out here. And that little laser thing. Nothing happens out here. God's not going, oh man, what are you doing? I didn't, I've never thought you'd do something like that. Or He's all-knowing. Everything is working orderly according to his plan. Now down here, it might look like things are just happening. But no, everything is all working perfectly according to his plan and purpose. Now you have God's revealed will. That second aspect. So two aspects of God's one will. So you still have his decreed will up there. And he's given us his revealed will, scripture. And you have some of the passages there that talk about knowing his revealed will. We looked at one this morning, be under the control of it. Uh, Here's a, a, a little quiz. Can I ever be out of his decreed will? Can I ever be out of his decreed will? No. Can I be out of his revealed will? Disobedient. Yes. So you'll never be down here, but you can be in his decreed will and be obedient or disobedient, but you've never missed his decreed will. 
Now, I'll talk a little bit more. It kind of works your brain on a Saturday. It just, wow. Um, but it may help explain there's no plan B for your life or plan C. And you go, oh, I could have had plan A. My life could have looked this way, but now I'm on triple Z by now. And people are going, oh, I, really, I, I married the wrong woman. And, oh, that. The perfect plan A woman is out there somewhere. Maybe I should divorce this wife and go try to find plan A. No, no, no. There's only one of your lives in God's ordained will. You're right in it. You're moving along now. Just be more obedient to the will of God. In God's revealed will, you have commands and principles in Scripture. Commands and principles. That's how he wants us to make our decisions, by commands and principles. Commands are open for discussion. Thou shalt not lie. Yeah, but, but just this, no. What about a little white? They don't come color-coded. It's the laws, the commands, they're not open for voting. Not a smorgasbord. The principles, though, are more like a compass. It gives you a direction and you have freedom in, in the compass. A road map is more like the commands. A road map will tell you turn right or turn left, going in different directions. I was, watch, I was following the, well, my little uh, GPS yesterday, you know, and it would say, now, you know, 500 feet, turn right. That's more of the command-oriented uh, of, of Scripture. Turn right or turn left. If a brother sins, what do I do? Go to him in private. Well, what if he doesn't listen? Take someone else with you. Or what if they don't listen? Tell it to the church. That walks you right through how to deal with things. That's more of commands. Principles are different. Principles are, is it helpful? Wow. Is it beneficial? Will it glorify the Lord? It's it's giving me direction, but it doesn't tell me where to turn right or turn left. Here would be a principle. Um, Let's all gather together for lunch, wait for one another, but have lunch together. All right, now which door do you go out of in the back there? There's two of them. Which one do you go out? I go out of either. That's the freedom that you have with the principles. I can go down that aisle or that aisle. There's two doors. I can go through either one of those. But to love and serve and let's eat together, wait for one another, that kind of thing. So there's freedom in the principles. The commands are, you just obey the command. The principles give you freedom. And so you see there, the, the shaded area, there's actually freedom to maneuver with principles. It's not a right or wrong. A lot of time with principles, it's, it's growing in wisdom. Now, this is what God wants us to do. Tighten up how we live, according to Scripture. Did, did you follow that? Should I go back and do that again? He, he wants us to grow more in the word. 
just we can't do it perfectly we can't just walk perfectly down the word it's lord more today than yesterday help me to my mind to be more dominated by the scriptures and in the word and thinking about it and making my decisions according to it than yesterday and i look back now i I should tell you some of the ways i used to make decisions I, i had i didn't know how to how did how was god supposed to tell me to go uh, what i was supposed to do for a summer job i don't know I, I wasn't looking at commands or principles i just knew we'll work if you don't work you don't eat so that's a that's a good one to start with but do i go to atlanta i lived in columbia south carolina at the time do i stay in columbia do i go to atlanta i, I don't know i had an invite from a roommate to go work with him in construction for a summer or should I stay in Columbia with my family there I mean my family I wasn't married at the time but my parents and work there I don't know what do you want Lord and I was out walking in the woods looked up at the tree limbs this this is no joke I looked up at the tree limbs I wasn't hearing any voices but that tree limb kind of looked the way it's all configured looks like an A Atlanta (laughs) and I went to Atlanta for the summer and I worked and saved up money for the next school semester now was that God's decreed will yes you know why because I did it it happened he could have stopped it he could have turned me man's heart plans his way but God redirects his steps Proverbs 16, 9. But he didn't redirect my steps. I went to Atlanta, lived with my roommate at his house there, worked all summer. That was God, that God's revealed will. Was I making the decision according to his revealed will? Let's think about this. What's the command? Work, right? Work or you don't, don't eat. Was I doing that? Any command to stay in Columbia or command to go to Atlanta? Uh, no, there wasn't anything there as far as command other than work. How about principles? Will it be beneficial, maybe this, that, and the other? I didn't know what, I didn't even know to use those. And I can look now, and I had the freedom to stay and work at with my parents I mean live at their house or in Atlanta there's a great amount of freedom there but the Lord didn't want me looking in tree limbs to make my decision that was very immature I was a new believer I just didn't know how to make decisions and we do that with our little children I mean they just go they'll grow up they won't be doing the same things we hope at age 30 that they're doing now at six months And so God wants to grow us so that we're making better biblically informed decisions than how we used to make them. And so that we grow tighter with the scripture. So it's a sanctification process, a walk of faith. Now this is a statement, um, and you don't have this in your notes, but J.C. Ryle, a, a pastor in the 1850s in England said 
The Bible must be our standard. Whenever we are confronted with a question about Christian practice, we must apply the teaching of the Bible. Sometimes the Bible will deal with it directly. That would be your command. And we must go by its direct teaching, roadmap, command kind of thing. Often, the Bible will not deal with the decision we have to make directly. And then we must look for general principles to guide us. Now, there's the compass of the word. It does not matter what other people think. Their behavior is not a standard for us. But, but the Bible is a standard for us, and it is by the Bible that we must live. Back in the 1850s. In 2 Peter chapter 1, the Apostle Peter is trying to help people move from all their experiences to be more biblically sound. And today, people say, well, I experienced this, I experienced that, and that's how I know this and how I know that. And he said, oh, we need to move our knowledge from experience, move it more towards grounding it on the word and in the word. And this is the verse, uh, well, let me back up a little bit. In 2 Peter 1, the apostle Peter says, I saw the Lord transfigured before us. I, I saw his glory light, light up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he said, I heard the Father say, this is my beloved son. I mean, I heard the Father speak. I walked with Jesus. I saw him light up in his glory. I mean, we walked and we, I mean, he was in flesh and blood. And there are some experiences. And then in this verse, he says, and we have the prophetic word more sure, more sure than what? than all of our experiences. It's not your experiences that should be the authority. This is more sure. Move to something more sure to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And then he goes into no scripture was given a private interpretation. He's just move from thin ice to solid ground. People will talk about our experiences, and I, I don't argue people's experiences. I just want to say, let's go to something more sure, the Word. Peter, and this is Dr. MacArthur, says, Peter is ranking Scripture over experience. And secondly, the prophetic Word is more complete, more permanent, and more authoritative than the experience of anyone. So it's just a, a good encouragement to us. We have God's eternal word from Genesis to Revelation. And shame on us when we don't read it more, study it more, meditate on it more, apply it more to our life. Now, here are some other definitions that you have there, other terms. And one is, and I don't know that I have this, um, wisdom. Wisdom. There's a term that's often used in decision-making. Wisdom is knowledge applied. You want a wise person? 
is someone who takes the truth, usually with moral, a moral end in it, that for moral um, reasons that you want to be holy, do what's uh, good and, and uh, wise before God. So it has a moral end to it, but the knowledge is applied. That's a wise person. These days, we don't follow the Hebrew model as much as the Greek model, which if you have a degree, oh, you're the expert. But the Hebrew model was, look for a person who knows the word and has applied it. So you would look for older men and older women who were godly, who knew the scriptures and were applying it in their marriage, in their parenting, and ministry. I don't care about any degrees. You see, the difference there is the the wisdom. I just heard a missionary, uh, what is today, Saturday? Two days ago in, in one of my classes, he was a guest speaker teaching biblical counseling around the world, various places. And he said, overseas especially, they don't really care so much that you have any degrees as much as that you have the scriptures and you've applied it to your life and ministry and you have some years that you've done that. And what he was telling the seminary students and college students was getting your knowledge down is excellent. But now keep applying it so that you grow in wisdom. And then after practicing it, then you can go teach it. It's Ezra. Ezra in seven, chapter 7, verse 10 says that. He studied the word, he practiced it, and then he taught others. That's, that's good. That, that's wisdom. Know the word, practice it, then teach it. And so when we pray for wisdom, Lord, help give me wisdom in this situation or with this decision I need to make. Lord, I pray for wisdom. That's not an epiphany that he's about to accomplish. You just go, oh, wow, I'm just zapped with something. God wants to take the word that you should know by studying it carefully, thinking upon it, meditating on it. And he wants to bring the truths of his word by the Spirit, bring it to the forefront of your mind to deal with a situation. He may use other people to help you do that process. And the count, in the multitude of counselors, there's what? There's, there's, there's wisdom. And so it may be that, oh, I'm, I can think of these commands and principles with this decision I need to make. But brother, sister, you know, uh, what scriptures come to your mind that may help me in the decision I need to make? And we, we walk in wisdom to grow more. In a, sometimes it's not a right or wrong. It's not right or wrong I go through that door or that door on the way to lunch today. But in some decisions, it's growing in wisdom. The more wise you are, you've grown 
by applying scriptures to your life. And so be patient with one another as they're all in process of growing in wisdom. Another word that we, it's not a biblical word, but it's a practice that's becoming quite prevalent today, is this one, and it's mysticism. This is becoming, uh, if you remember much at all about your history, church history, in the uh, Middle Ages, in the 15, 1600s, there were these Catholics who were mystics. And they believed that they had a private communication line with God. And often they weren't in the scriptures much at all. They were out having experiences, sometimes, quote, visions. Sometimes they would not sleep for days. And three days without sleep, you can hallucinate. And they would say things and and talk in language as if they had some relationship with God different than what's in here. This is on the rise again. It's, 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 I don't know any church I've ever been in or school I've ever taught in where some of the things that are said by some people, you're saying, you're not going to get that from the scriptures. What's going on? And people will talk about their walk with the Lord. Oh, so you're, you're letting the word of God dwell richly in you and dominate? Oh, no, no I mean, not, no, I, I just, I have my own thing going with the Lord. Well, what is, your own thing? Mysticism, said one particular theologian here, he said, the, it's the essence of mysticism. It's subjectivity in in the religious realm. It's to separate the operation of the Holy Spirit from God's objective word. The more mystical you are, the more you talk about God and the Spirit and not his word. The more mystical someone gets, they're talking all about their walk with the Lord, their experiences with the Lord, but they're not talking about the word of God. And the Lord gave us his word to stay in this. Once I leave scripture, I don't know that it's God. Think about that. I know this is his word. It's inspired. It's authoritative. It's sufficient. Once I leave this, you can say, well, God told me or God did this and God. How do you know that? Especially when it's in communication. He's communicated for certain here. I don't know once you leave there. There's nothing for certain. And there's no safeguard from error. I've heard people say, you know, God just has laid it on my heart that uh, it's okay to divorce my wife. He's given me great peace about it. And the way circumstances are, she agrees. It's of God. We've prayed about it too. And we've fasted. Well, all of that doesn't mean anything if in here it says don't do it. You follow? I mean, people are all over the place and the further you go outside scripture, the more mystical you become. And subjective, there's no way to prove it's God and there's no safeguard from error. 
So stay in here, be dominated with this, and that, the purpose is that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in all respects. Well, that, that will take us there. I think this might be a good time to go blank on the screen, not blank in your mind, and uh, stand up for a break. Uh, maybe we'll take about um, seven minutes. So some of you, if you have to run to the restroom, maybe about seven minutes, come back, and then we'll go into the next session before lunch. <laughs>